Welcome to the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do more good. Do good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're okay. listening to the Do More Good podcast. This is the Spotlight series. Shorter episodes on the big issues. You can find more at domoregood.uk and get in touch if you'd like to feature. Hi, it's James. Something a little different for you coming up. Kenneth and I were delighted to be invited by the Resource Alliance and Salesforce.org to host a showcase on digital innovation in the sector. Better still, they let us record it so we could share the conversation with you. We have examples from Refuge, RNID, British Heart Foundation and Brain Tumor Research. All confirmed BDIDs, big deals in digital. Talking of big deals, Kenneth is about to stroll onto centre stage, so I'll hand over to him. Today we're presented by the Resource Alliance in partnership with Salesforce.org. And I'd just like to introduce myself. So I'm Kenneth Foreman. I'm actually the co-host of a podcast called Do More Good. Uh, I'm also joined by my colleague James, who will introduce himself in in a moment. But the podcast Do More Good podcast is all about interviewing people from across the social good spectrum. So we've interviewed CEOs, leaders, charity founders, and quite often digital and innovation has come up as we've spoken to those people. So we were really pleased to be welcome to host today's session and hopefully we can do a good job. But just to say, you won't be hearing from us. We've got some fantastic expert panelists who will be sharing the information with you. So as I say, charities have really had to to build on digital platforms over the last 18 to 20 months, we've seen a creative innovation right across the spectrum from virtual events through to online, compelling online kind of fundraising experiences. And we have some fantastic examples from charities that we will share with you today. Charities and individuals that have taken an innovative approach over the the last 20 months to to really bring something to their beneficiaries and their organisations that has really changed the game. So hopefully there'll be lots that you can take away into your organization. And really, we want you to leave after this session having some of those tips. So we'll make sure that the the speakers are sharing their tips as they go through when they finish speaking. And yeah, hopefully there'll be lots that you can apply to to your day jobs when you return to them probably straight away after this session. So as I say, I've introduced myself. I'm Kenneth Foreman. In my day job, I work at London Marathon Events as the head of charities. So I'm very privileged to be able to work with two and a half thousand charities that we work with at London Marathon. And obviously, like many not-for-profits and charities over the past year, we've had to innovate around digital. So looking forward to seeing if I can take anything from today's conversation. And at this point, I'm just going to pass you over to my co-host on the Do More Good podcast, which is James Wright. Hi, James. Hi, Kenneth. I was quite enjoying that. I was quite enjoying just listening to you. But um, yes, as you say, we're going to pass over to the to the experts. But um, I am head of public fundraising at Sue Ryder, where we are always trying to innovate and drive digital. We've seen a real transformation over this past two years in that area. I oversee things like IG, lottery and events areas that have been transformed by by digital or at least had the potential to be transformed by digital, uh, particularly, particularly recently. And yet, as you say, over the last three years, I have been the, the glamorous assistant to you on the Do More Good podcast. This is quite fun for us. We don't usually do video. We're very much faces for audio. But just to kick us off then, Kenneth, a question for you. How are you around digital? Bit of a digital native? Do you embrace it? in your day-to-day life what have you seen out there that you've you've appreciated over the past couple of years oh that's a that's a big question I didn't know you were gonna hit with that curveball I think you know I think as I've touched on already the last 20 months has seen a lot of disruption but I think one of the highlights for me particularly working in mass events and fundraising is seeing how charities have embraced Facebook fundraising and virtual events and I know one of our speakers is going to talk a little bit more on that later today but I think some of the results that we've seen from there have just been huge significant I mean beyond the wildest dreams of some of the individuals I've spoken to so I think in terms of fundraising that's certainly one of the innovative areas that whilst it's not new over the last 20 months it's existed for a few years we've seen some huge success stories so I think that's one I'm I'm looking forward to hearing more about James what about you in in your kind of day-to-day life or day-to-day role at Sue Ryder? Yeah we've definitely we've definitely embraced that more whether it's being led by supporters or whether it's us kind of pushing in that direction but the 
the switch to digital has been quite profound over the past 18 months. Sort of things like appeals and campaigns where we've seen massive shifts to people donating online and through through kind of more digital prompts if you like that we've been that we've been running and I love the kind of scale and personalization that we can bring to it we've been able to do so much more on that front we're heavily investing in that area as I'm sure everybody everybody is and then like you touched on really kind of virtual events Facebook fundraising we've really grown a virtual event at Sue Rider that's that's become a massive part of our event sports and challenge portfolio and then just last week I was at a, a different presentation around uh, gaming and streaming again not a new thing but just you know embracing mm. it and, and mind we're talking about how they've done some amazing work with that over the over the past year Warchild have been doing that for years and then when we were preparing for this the thing that I like every time we talk about digital I, I constantly go back to that Burger King example of how they took something uh, physical in that they sponsored Stevenage Town Football Club and like the pure kind of classic brand marketing approach of that but they did that in order to get into the game FIFA and then use that as a digital campaign and activated uh, through that and encouraged people to share clips from the game but using something quite physical to get Mm. into a game is just you know turns things on its head from how things would normally have worked. Yeah, and if you haven't seen that case study, have a have a look. So the Burger King sponsorship of Stevenage was just a, a great example of how thinking differently around digital marketing. And and again, we'll we've got some speakers that will talk a little bit more about how their organisations have have leveraged the the opportunities by through digital marketing to to know you know push their campaigning message alongside their fundraising message. So hopefully there'll be lots of interesting things. But look, we've gone on too long. The format of today is we're going to hear from four absolutely exceptional panelists who have all got really interesting and slightly different slant on innovation around digital over the the past 20 months. So what we're going to do is give each of those an opportunity to talk. We'll then have a couple of questions from James and I, and we'll go through all four of our panelists, and then we'll have a time at the end for questions from the audience. So let's crack on. Without further ado, I'm going to introduce to our panelists who are going to talk and introduce themselves, and then they're going to answer a question about what innovation means to them. So let me just spotlight them. Perfect. So look, I'm just going to hand over now to Anna. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Anna Chakap, and I'm the Digital Manager at Refuge, so the National Domestic Abuse Charity. Thanks, Anna. And question, what does what does innovation mean to you? It's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> um, I think for me, and I think what we've learned at Refuge over the last couple of years, is about trying and testing new things and seeing what works and being bold and not being scared of, of, of something, thinking that it may not work because you don't, you don't know until you try it. Yeah, amazing. Okay, and over to Athar. Hi guys, so I'm Athar, I'm Head of Social and Digital Activation at the British Heart Foundation, so that means I'm kind of responsible for social media, digital marketing and uh, email. Been in the sector for a while, so I've done six years at the BHF before that. I was a social media manager at AGK and before that I was digital manager at the British Lung Foundation, so quite a lot of variety, all different sizes of charity, being part of the sector. Brilliant. And with that experience, I'm sure innovation working in digital has been part of your role or remit for for multiple different roles that you've had. What what does it mean to you in terms of innovation? Yeah, I think innovation is a word that gets thrown around a lot. And I think it's really, it's relative for every organisation. I think the expectation that big charities are more innovative, I think is just, you know, is it's not necessarily true at all innovation is for one organization may not be for another and it's not always about you know innovation isn't just about new products it's about new ways of working it's about it's not just about jumping on new channels it's about connecting channels to the correct audience and I think the most important thing about innovation is what it isn't and it isn't about being first yeah good point so yeah that so that gives you the go-ahead to just steal and beg and borrow any of the ideas that you hear today you don't need to be first just go for it if it means you can raise more money or have more impact as an organization feel free uh rachel we'll come over to you do you want to introduce yourself yeah hi everyone i'm rachel white i'm the digital marketing manager at brain tumor research i've worked for the charity for about three years and prior to that i worked for retail businesses and corporates doing their video video production 
and digital marketing. So I kind of just shifted sector because I wanted to make a difference and I'm really enjoying working in the charity sector. Brilliant. And what about innovation for you, Rachel? What does that look like? I think for me, it's all about thinking outside the box. So, you know, if there's challenges or you just think there's a better way to do something and think it's all about uh, risk taking, you know, you've, it's one thing to think of an idea and an innovation. It's another to execute it. And some will be successes, I think, as Anna said, but even if it doesn't meet expectations, you still learn a lot from that. Yeah. No, it's a good point. You can certainly learn a lot. Uh, um, Michael, last but not least, we'll just come over to you. Yeah. Hi, everyone. So I'm Michael Wilkinson. I'm Associate Director for Digital and Innovation at RNID. And uh, it's our mission as a charity to make life uh, fully inclusive for deaf people and those with hearing loss and tinnitus. So innovation to me, obviously, it's in my job title. So that's interesting. But it's actually a 16th century word that derives from Latin, two verbs in Latin, to renew and to make new. And that became the word innovate. So I think for innovation, it's been around a really long time, much longer than we actually think. Often it's really simple stuff and it's not as big and scary as perhaps digital people like to make out. Nice. And great to have someone with us who's done their homework and actually come along with a, a quote and a definition. So we like that, Michael. Thank you very much. James, I'll hand over to you at the moment and then we'll get on with the sessions. Yeah, no, I thought some excellent points there. Not always about being first, steal other people's ideas. Innovation, you know, is often taking other people's ideas and doing it better and improving on it. And Anna and Rachel are both talking about being bold and going for stuff give it a go see if it works we certainly have done that through the show haven't we so um give that a try and yeah as you say like the points go to michael he did his homework pulling the dictionary out there i was worried about him because he went last as well because you know other people might have said things he was hoping to should we move into some of the presentations yes yeah i think we will i think we've got michael who's going to go up first about the commitment i guess and i'm sure michael will t- tell us more about becoming a digital first organization so michael over to you all right then, thank you. So I'm going to talk about RNID and our journey. And I've just said innovation is really simple, and in ways it, it is. We've actually ended up doing a whole lot of it um, over the last few months. So before the pandemic, we were perhaps not like in the best place as a charity. So in terms of our brand awareness, we used to be called Action on Hearing Loss, and our brand awareness had reached a low of 22%. Uh, we'd, we'd been Action on Hearing Loss for a decade. Um, We'd just been through a financial recovery as a charity um, and we didn't really have the clarity and and, of the direction we wanted to take in terms of our services and our strategy um, that we perhaps do today. So we were in a little bit of a a tricky situation, I suppose, before the pandemic and we were working through that. We were kind of already on this path anyway. And then the pandemic came along and just sort of accelerated everything that we, we, we wanted to do and more so as we kind of close 2021 we are i think on so many levels a completely different organization um to me having worked here now for for over two years it feels like i'm kind of working in the sort of shell of a 110 year old charity but it's like a new company that's springing out of it so that's really really exciting Um, And, you know, that's kind of that change is sort of permeating through everything we do um, and crucially how we do it. So we, um, like everybody else, went fully remote and we decided um, to not bother going back to an office. In fact, we sold our office um, and we've we've fully embraced um, remote ways of working um, and the cultural change that's needed to accommodate that. Um, um, So we're on a bit of a mission to become uh, digital first as a charity and and the best charity to work for so we've gone completely flexible with our ways of working we've removed our core working hours so people can choose how and when they they work for us um, and that's that's really important and already we're seeing uh, great success from that because we've been able to recruit uh, top talent from all over the country whereas when I first started uh, I could only hire people from uh, from London and, and that area So that's been a really big kind of cultural change. We um, have, in the middle of the pandemic, launched a new digital service 
which includes an online hearing check, which allows people to check their hearing within three minutes. It's private, it's confidential. You can do it from any device in your own home, wherever you are. Um, and we're, we're building a whole load of new products to kind of uh, really push what we wanna do digitally and reach more people uh, in that way. We're also about to design a new flagship in-person service, um, which will help people uh, with their hearing aids to maintain them and so on. And um, as a result of all of this, that's now informing what we do with our fundraising. Um, so our fundraising was quite traditional, I guess, before, um, but we're now kind of moving into the space of becoming much more cause-led. Um, so we're really thinking about how can we build fundraising journeys into um, our digital service and when people come into our in-person service um, and really kind of linking those those things much more closely together than we'd, we'd done before. Now all that sounds great but we've also had to take really difficult decisions as a charity as well and it's it's not been the easiest of times on that level. We've, we've had to take the decision to retire a number of services and we'll be winding down some of our commissioned services um, as contracts come to an end. Um, and uh, we've divested all of our care and support services, which was a huge undertaking um, and something we didn't do lightly, um, considering our first care home opened, I think, in the 1930s. So we've, we've really kind of changed the whole structure of, of this organisation. We've, we've gone through a major restructure as well on top of that. Um, and all that's happened in the middle of um, the pandemic. Um, and so now as we kind of go forward, we're committing ourselves to, to becoming digital first in, in everything we do. So that's through our service delivery, the way we raise uh, money um, and, uh, and our culture as well. So I think some of the kind of ways in which we've got to where we are today, one was our rebrand back to RNID, um, which we, we could have postponed. We could have said actually the COVID-19 is not the best time to do it. But actually, upon reflection, we felt it, there was no better time to do it. People needed us more than ever. Um, and actually, people loved our, our historic name of, of RNID. So we, we did that. And already that's, that's had a huge impact in terms of more awareness of, of what we do as a charity. Um, we've introduced uh, a lot of really kind of basic things that are the kind of foundations for being more digital first. So that's introducing user research. Um, so we researched with 3000 people um, to help build our new uh, digital first strategy. Um, and we regularly test with users week in, week out now. We've introduced um, the principles of service design and product management, which the charity just didn't do before. Um, and that's really giving us a much more strategic approach to the way we develop our services and products. Uh, we've introduced agile matrix uh, styles of working. Um, so we were, we were very, very siloed before, and we've really kind of come in, flipped the tables and smashed all that apart. And that's been really exciting because now people are working with people that they hadn't, um, didn't even know before, um, uh, who used to sit in different offices. And so now we've leveled that playing field. Um, people are able to collaborate across different capability teams, and they're all working to support our, new, our four new programs around health, inclusion, research and employment. Um, and those are gonna be the four programs that really kind of drive us forward. And then I think the final thing I would say in terms of how we've done it, it it's, it's around kind of our culture and the way we're working. So now we're working much more in the open, we're much more transparent. We're showing much more transparent leadership. Um, we uh, have a public roadmap for our digital service. You can go to rnid.org.uk forward slash roadmap. Everybody can see it um, and you can see what, what we're working on next. Um, and that's been really interesting for people who want to come and work for us because they can get a really good view of what exactly they'll be getting involved with. And we try to push that way of thinking through everything we're doing now. We regularly blog about our work and we're sharing our insights. And I suppose that's why I'm here today, you know, because we're really keen to work in the open. And I think that's when you start to really kind of reap the real benefits. And so I, I suppose if I was gonna kind of give you some takeaways from the journey that we've been on, one is, is digital transformation is not just about what you do, but it's about how you do it. Um, and by changing our culture, we've been able to um, do things differently. And I would also say that kind of culture, organizational culture is, is really a game changer if you can get that right. So just 
be as open as possible, stay transparent um, and um, adopt flexible, uh, flexible approaches because it's better for your workforce, it's better for the charity, it's better for all the people that you're helping. Um, and, and finally, just really kind of focusing on how you deliver value um, because that's the reason we, we kind of do this at the end of the day. So yeah, it's been a really exciting couple of years for us. Um, and in a way, like we've gone through all of that, but now I feel like we're only just starting out on the journey. Um, so yeah, um, more, more to come, I'm sure. No, amazing. I mean, Michael, it sounds like we could probably speak to you for the full hour about all of the changes that you've gone through. And I can see there's quite a few questions coming in because it sounds like you've had huge change over the past year or 18 months. The question that comes out of that, and I think it's a question that was referenced below, was just about that cultural point you made. You know, as a 110-year-old organisation, going fully remote, removing the officers, introducing all of these new working practices, how have you maintained, or is there anything that you can tell us about how you've maintained the culture of the organisation during that time? Remote working, obviously, that's something we're embracing full time right now. And um, that's that's challenging in itself. Like We, we can all share that challenge. Um, but we've committed as a charity to getting all our people together four times a year. Um, we'll, we'll all come together. And we did that recently, a couple of weeks ago. And it was so nice to just get everybody back in the room again. Mm. Um, so whilst I'm probably the, one of the biggest advocates on this call um, for, uh, for remote working, the, there's huge benefits in getting people together. Um, but 95% of our time, we can't do that. We have to be remote. That's the decision we've taken. Um, and so we're just finding new ways to, to collaborate with each other and um, to give more people a say in what we do. So, um, you know, I think it's embracing collaboration tools. We've been experimenting with working asynchronously. So kind of thinking about ways in which people can feedback and create things in their own time mm -hmm. um, and then come together kind of when it's appropriate. But uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's about making sure you don't just take like old office-based practices into a remote environment because whilst we sort of muddled through in the pandemic, that's not going to cut it in the future if we're going to be fully remote. We've got to change our culture. So yeah, I think it's just kind of being really kind of open to embracing fresh ways of working um, and opening up ideas to people, um, running retrospectives, asking people, you know, how could we do things differently? that thing you liked okay let's do more of that um and yeah just kind of opening it up to to people great i've got some questions for you about kind of the pressure of coming in and then two years and two years ago and then suddenly we've been hit by a pandemic and you're thrown into the limelight so maybe we will we will come back I'll give you a second to think about those we will come back to that and there's some more questions there we'll move to anna how have things been at refuge for you for the past year and a bit been a bit mad to be honest um, it's yeah uh, so I mean cases domestic abuse skyrocketed um, as you can imagine during the pandemic uh, and then we had to respond to that pretty quickly one of the things was we were planning to do a live chat service we were planning to do it several months um, after we actually launched it because we were like right we just need to get this out now because we need to be able to you know have like have multiple ways for people to get in touch with us at this really critical time and uh, yeah, all about all of our fundraising, all of our like campaign work, everything went on online. And we had actually just begun uh, to introduce our like our digital engagement strategy, which I'm going to talk through in a second. And luckily, we'd already started that work because I think if we hadn't, we would have been caught um, off guard that we'd actually implemented some um, new ways of working already. So, shall I share my? Yeah. So Anna's going to talk to us a little bit more about how. She's been using digital over the last two years, as she said, to kind of bring together, well, fundraising and campaigning and, and actually a bit more of a joined up approach, which I think is really innovative and interesting. So, yeah, Anna, go ahead. Um, OK, so I'm going to talk about digital innovation at Refuge. Um, this is our mission, I guess, um, as part of our kind of digital engagement product. We want to harness the power and energy of the feminist movement um, and essentially create an online movement of supporters who will engage with the charity in different ways. Um, so that means campaigners, fundraisers, monthly givers, they're all supporters. Um, we don't work in a, in, a, in a siloed way at Refuge. Um, so whilst I am the digital manager and I sit within the comms team, I work very closely with fundraising colleagues and we're 
you know, this is a kind of this joint project between us and fundraising. Um, we have you know, joint objectives um, and we're actually moving um, hopefully towards a kind of joint budget, which is really exciting. So all of these ways of working are just much more aligned. Um, we try to limit segmentation in our email supporter journey because people will engage with Refuge in different ways at different points. Um, and so we'll do some segmentation, but not a huge amount. So um, I'm just to talk about individual giving at Refuge. Um, so that's, you know, one-off donations and, and regular giving. Um, we onboarded with Engaging Networks about two years ago. Um, we redid all of our donate pages. The ones before were completely useless. Um, we invested in Facebook ads, uh, primarily for kind of um, one-off donations and like parcels and gifts and those kind of things. We implemented a a new email support journey. I really should say a email support journey because when I joined at Refuge, we had a quarterly newsletter. Um, so we sacked that and got, um, we used Engage Networks to send our emails that had regular um, donate asks. We A-B test everything, everything that we do, um, which I think is one of my definitely top, top tips. Um, test, 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 and look at what your results show you as well. So this is just a snapshot of um, online income. Um, you can see where um, in March 2020, um, we, we really, it really shot up. So December 2019, that was the first time we'd ever done a sort of like proper kind of Christmas appeal um, using like online ads and things like that. And then we, when lockdown happened, we, um, we invested a lot more in those. And we decided to spend while the return was going was high. Uh, we also have uh, Mother's Day and International Women's Day, which were very big um, events in the calendar for refuge. Uh, we then move into it goes a bit mad April and May, um, and we pivoted to a kind of COVID emergency appeal um, because we needed to fund you know people need to fund our refuges and to keep those open and to um, support our helpline staff. Um, and then we, at Christmas in 2020, repeated the same thing that we'd done um, the year before, um, but saw much, um, much bigger results. We had more supporters and um, more like kind of streamlined ways of working at that point. So that's just, that's just summarised the overall income. Um, basically, yeah, from 17.1 million to 34.5 million. So this was, this was a huge deal for us. Uh, it now also fundraising accounts for 50% of the organization's income, whereas before it was much more like development contracts, um, bids and those kind of things. So we've really pivoted um, and yeah, our fundraising team and the kind of resources has grown as a result. I uh, just want to quickly touch on community and events. So I know that um, someone's going to speak more and more detail about virtual events, but we started doing these. So we, we have like um, Facebook groups for each of the challenges that we do. Uh, and we also held a virtual festival uh, for International Women's Day, which we're going to do next year. And we're going to keep virtual because we found it much better than, um, you know, we were able to get people from all over the country. In fact, other countries. Uh, so, yeah, much greater variety. Uh, these things may look familiar to <laughs> some people, but <clears throat> we've started doing um, challenges that are like 100 squats a day for 30 days. Um, which is a lot of squats, I can tell you, as someone who tried to take part. Um, and we've got these Facebook groups. This is, this is an example uh, where people can interact with each other. And it's a, they're, they're the loveliest groups. Um, if we ever get like, and we do sometimes get trolled on social media by men's rights activists, these are the places that I go to I go to, to make myself feel better because they're just full of fundraisers supporting each other and sharing their successes. And yeah, it's very lovely. Um, they've also raised a lot of money. Uh, so you can see that we started uh, March 2020 um, with 100 squats and then right through to February 2021 where we had um, run 100 miles, um, which, yeah, the return was, um, was incredibly high and, and continues to be. Uh, but digital engagement isn't just financial. Um, we integrate campaigning and fundraising 
so we ran a campaign uh, last year called The Naked Threat, which was a campaign to make threats to share intimate images illegal. So that's basically making threats to share revenge porn, make that illegal. Um, we won, which was amazing. Uh, and part of that was obviously there was the campaign kind of policy advocacy element, but there was also, um, you know, we brought in a lot of supporters. So those 30K supporters, half about half of those opted in. Um, we received um, one and a half K in donations and we got 220 direct debits. So this is people who are like, you know, this is long-term income for us. Uh, and in total about 45,000 um, pounds we got as part of that campaign, which is incredible because we weren't expecting to raise any money. Um, we spent 11 K as total on um, kind of mainly Facebook ads for the campaign. So the return, um, on our spend was really good and the return on investment was great. And, and yeah, I think it just shows that people will kind of engage with a charity in different ways and not to silo them. Um, so we have things, we use daisy chain. So by all of our signups, um, if it's a hand raiser, if it's a campaign, we always ask someone to do something else at the point of signing up. So we always ask them, always have a donate ask, share ask, um, or both because um, as, you know, as long as it's in a way that's kind of um, user-friendly and easy for people to do, we found that people will do it and that you shouldn't be scared of over-asking people. Thank you, Anna. That's amazing. Like the numbers that you raised last year, incredible increase. Yeah. I think a few charities would have seen that, but it was really stark for you. That was, that was great to see. And 220 direct debits from a campaign <laughs> you weren't expecting to raise any income from. That's quite a nice Friday, well, isn't wasn't, it? I mean, yeah, I was not expecting it at all. Um, we didn't even set any targets for fundraising. We were just like, let's add a donate ask on and see what Brilliant. happens. Well, my question really for you is around, you, you mentioned how you were already working on this. There, was, there were already projects going on to maybe shift more towards a digital mm. first approach. A kind of, did you massively feel a load of pressure suddenly to accelerate those plans? Were they already in place? Like you talked there about how testing should all, I mean, obviously we all know this, but then we don't include testing in everything that we yeah. do. I have to speak on behalf of everybody uh, as much as we should do. Were there barriers to getting that in place? Was it, was it, was that stuff that you were already doing the kind of daisy chain stuff that you mentioned around including non-financial asks or perhaps the reverse and including financial asks for there wasn't one before is that all stuff you had planned and was that already coming in or was that stuff that you saw the opportunity last year and thought bang 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 I can get all of my strategy in here yeah, I'd love to say it was planned but it definitely wasn't I think we had a vision like we had an idea as part of the digital engagement work what we wanted to do but we had no idea what was about to what was about to hit us and the support that we were about to get and you know we basically just tried to harness that as much as possible mm. and I think I mean, not luckily because it was a horrendous situation, but we we got a lot of kind of media coverage and a lot of like um, attention during the kind of definitely during the peak of the of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, we were able to like harness that and, and raise loads of money for the people that use our services. So that, that was great. But I think that basically as soon as we started kind of doing this and investing slowly at the beginning and seeing these really good results then we were able to use that to kind of say right well we need to we need to do this more and it was it was a bit of a journey getting to that point um it, the the digital engagement stuff kind of worked was started before I before I joined and it took a while to get people on board um and Christmas 2019 was really the first um kind of example of that so yeah it does take a little while yeah, incredible results. We'll move swiftly on to Athar. Obviously, BHF, one of the biggest, most well-respected charities out there. Athar, you've had some challenges over the last year, changing change in one of the world's biggest charities. Uh, you want to talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So, as you sort of pointed out, yes, the BHF is a big ship and we turn slowly. And I think that's always been the case, but the pandemic kind of forced us to rethink that. And I think because our beneficiaries were quite quite a lot of them were in those high risk groups and had you know very pressing and specific concerns and questions that needed to be asked that weren't necessarily part of the wider communications coming from the NHS you know everything was there was a lot of information out there and for them to get what was relevant to them as uh, as people living with uh, heart and circulatory diseases um, we became very much a go-to point so 
initially our pandemic response was actually to dial down fundraising and to move towards patient first comms um, which basically means that everything that wasn't fundraising was kind of deprioritized and all of our digital uh, focus went into surfacing that uh, that healthcare information, creating a coronavirus hub, making sure that all of our information was getting out there, which was, you know, absolutely the right thing to do. The traffic that we saw to our website absolutely rocketed. We started using our digital marketing budget for purely for informational resources for a period of time. It was really rewarding and, you know, it felt very much like the right thing to do. I think on the flip side of that is that once, uh, once that run its course we went into appeal mode and if we went we did an above the line appeal it was okay but I think perhaps we were could we could have been a little bit quicker off the mark but again that's the that, I think that's one of the interesting things about that time is you know balancing what your beneficiaries need in that time against you know what it is you have to offer so I think the refuge example is incredible in, in that you know, their beneficiaries were in a very different situation, required absolute urgent support, as did all of us, I guess. Um, one of the other things that we did was that we, in order to try and be a little bit quicker off the mark, we repurposed some of our existing products. So some, some we, we had walking products in the past that were almost in that mass packed model, and then we tried to shift them over to be more of a self-serve model so rather than having to start a certain day and having a certain amount of time it's essentially just a almost a switch over to community fundraising again you know it's a good idea and it did mean that we had like the infrastructure in place but i'm not sure it really achieved the standout that that that, that we would want um then there were other situations wherein you know there was there was that uh, very much a trend for online quizzes. Some charities got in there really early, got really great connects, got Stephen Fry to host, all of this. We tried to get involved in that and we had a really, we had a really great proposition. We did a football quiz. Chris Stark was the host. We had David Seaman and Glenn Hoddle being reading out the questions. Really nice. Again, it's 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 timing. I think we got we perhaps got the timing a bit wrong our route to market wasn't 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 quite as clearly established as it could have been I've got zero regrets for any of them they were all really good products they were all really, all really good learning experiences and and you know it was it, it was cer certainly worthwhile especially because people ambassadors your supporters everybody wants to mobilize that was the sort of that was what was going on across across the country you know, from street WhatsApp groups to volunteering for the NHS for all of that. So I think it's getting that get, getting that right is is tough. And for the BHF, we've got such a wide supporter base. Trying to find something that can get that that lift off wasn't what wasn't. It's not easy for anyone, but wasn't easy. But then, just like everyone else, Facebook challenges came along. They did great for us. Um, and I think the important thing I want everyone to think about when it comes to Facebook is yeah the challenge model is great now we can all we all know the market's saturated because we're all bombarded with with that that doesn't mean step away from it but it does I would say you know everyone should be prepared to pivot like how can you use that Facebook model for other products for other audiences we'll all keep milking it until it ceases to be a uh, you know to give us that that return i'm sure we're all seeing similarly great roi figures on that but you know think long game keep keep doing them but think think about what's next because those people that got in there first on facebook challenges have been able to really uh iterate on that and, and build and build and some of us still playing catch up um and then i think one of the other areas where i wanted to sort of like shine a bit of a light on is community fundraising we've 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 been able to, we've had some really great community fundraising stories and individuals that have come out of that. We had a lady called uh, Joan Willett, and she basically, you know, inspired by Captain Tom, she gave herself a similar challenge of walking up and down the steps in front of her home 
she was 104. She absolutely smashed it. She was great. We got a lot of media for her. It was a very inspiring story and drove a lot of other community fundraisers to get involved. And we were able to, I've, you know, one of one of the benefits of being such having such high brand recognition and being a big charity is we do get we, we're quite lucky in some of the opportunities that fall on our, fall into our lap. So um Piccadilly Circus, they were having difficulty selling advertising as football in central London was so low. We were able to get a two-hour takeover of all of the boards there and we used it to thank Joan. And so we used footage that we had of her, photos of her. It was amazing. And then she didn't know anything about it and obviously she couldn't be there. So we were like live streaming it to into her into her care home, filming her response. Great. And again, we got more media off the back of it. It was a lovely thing to do. She was, she's a great, you know, she was a lovely, lovely person and really a real personality and a real, really strong character. So that was that was great. And and I think that's it. Community fundraising is something that chugs along in the background, but actually it's it's an activation point for you guys. Um, and which kind of leads me on to my three things to take away. Uh, it's one of them. Um, so one thing is not all trends are for you. Don't think that every trend is, a, is, is an opportunity for you. Look at your user base in your existing products and just make those considered choices about what to test. The idea of testing everything yeah, it's out there, but I think in your heart, in, in our hearts of hearts as product owners, we kind of, sometimes it's, it's fine to listen to your gut feel and not just give it a go. Sometimes you can, maybe you can, maybe you've got the resource, but uh, don't, I, I just don't think everyone should feel pressured to give everything a go. Um, everything you do do though, make sure it's scalable. If something's going well, be ready to throw the kitchen sink at it. It goes big as you can in that moment. Don't think, oh, well, next time we activate it, we'll go bigger. Be able to go bigger on each and every activation. It's just, it's, you've got, you've got to do it. It's, uh, and it, it shouldn't be difficult to build scalability into, a, into a, a lot of these products that we're using, especially when we're digital first. It's not like you run out of places on a 10K, think, think big on everything. And, you know, going back to what I was saying before, you don't have to focus on growing your audience, especially in a time like the pandemic, when everyone is, everyone's doing everything they can for themselves, for their jobs and for the charities that they support. So really focus on activating your existing audience. They are your amplifier. If you've got a new idea you want to take to market, take it to market through them. Let them be that sort of test bed and those sort of advocates, your supporters are advocates as well as as well as, well as supporters. So, you know, really, really make sure you're leveraging that them, them first and foremost. Brilliant, Athar. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to hear how you guys focus firstly on your beneficiaries when the pandemic hit and kind of really looked after them. I guess my, my question for that, and we've spoke a lot about looking backwards and looking at what happened during the pandemic and how we as organisations pivoted, tried new things. Athar, for you and your team, what have you learned from the past year in terms of how you work that you think will become part of how you work in the future, if anything? The organisation like many other charities, restructured during pandemic. So actually that restructure reflected and built in a lot of the ways of working that we did. So planning and prioritization became uh, a team within the organization that we didn't necessarily have in that format before. Um, so the innovation and products, those, those teams kind of came closer together. We combined, um, marketing and fundraising, which I know lots of other organizations have done. So I'm not necessarily saying that was a direct impact to the pandemic, but we were able to sort of take some of the learnings from those first few months and almost test those ways of working. I think, you know, silos came down on a massive scale. We were all working from home. So that, that again, just means that um, you have those opportunities. One of the one of the big changes is uh, the number of people that attend a meeting isn't limited by the size of your meeting rooms. And that might sound dumb, but that makes a massive difference when you don't have to be selective about who's in the room. And it means that you've got a better diversity of voices. 
Um, so it's things, it's, it's things like that. It's, 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 I think it's a cultural shift more than it is sort of like a product-led shift. Yeah, makes sense. Nice. And I love the story of Joan. Like, use Piccadilly Circus, not for what it was like, traditionally for, with having loads of eyeballs on it, turn it on its head, use it to thank somebody, and then share that with the world. Brilliant. Yeah, it was lovely. lovely stuff. Yeah, nice, nice. Everybody so far, I think, and certainly beforehand, has talked about Facebook challenges. So we're going we're gonna to move and we're going to give the people what they want. So Rachel, tell us about Brain Tumor Research and the, and the, the Facebook challenges that you ran last year. Yeah, well, that's quite a lot of pressure. <laughs> uh, but hopefully um, I'll kind of tell you about brain tumor research, how we kind of got into it, what our successes are, challenges, and kind of as if I was saying what potentially the future is. I'm going to talk about the success in digital fundraising from brain tumor research through Facebook challenges. So this innovation kind of I know it wasn't born in the pandemic, but it definitely grew in the pandemic. Um, and as a way for charities to obviously raise funds while everyone was locked down and other departments within charities weren't able to do kind of their day job, thinking more community fundraisers, not being able to go out in the community. Um, and we as a charity are now on our fourth um, Facebook challenge. So we were very agile to see this, I guess, coming through the sector um, you know, looking at kind of other charities and going, oh, should that be something that we should get on board with? And um, our first big one that we did was walking. So it was 10,000 steps a day in February. Then since that, we've done um, a jogging challenge, a cycling challenge, and currently a star jumping challenge. Um, so you can kind of get see the theme in that they are kind of fitness challenges. Um, and so far we've raised in excess of 1.5 million. So it's a great achievement for our small but growing charity, I'd say, a national charity. Um, and along the way, we've obviously um, learned a few things. One of which is that these challenges are uh, work really well to engage new supporters, um, as well as to re-engage or engage existing ones. Um, so it is a great way to grow your uh, database with new supporters. Um, but interestingly, which I think was a surprise to us, we found that a lot of um, new supporters actually were drawn to the challenge rather than the cause first, um, which sounds a bit odd, but um, that's just the way it is. And actually we found that even though they're they were drawn to the challenge a lot of them did have a connection to brain tumors and they did have a connection to our cause they just kind of never have heard of us before or you know just didn't support us for whatever reason so this they work really well to kind of grab those people um which obviously then you you're bringing in a lot of lifetime value from a lot of these supporters so it's not just about the income that comes from facebook challenges it's about you know regular giving gifts and wills fundraising in the future campaigning um so there's kind of a lot of value to these facebook challenges outside of direct income um and through these four challenges we are <laughs> seeing lots of challenges um, and having to really work together as a charity uh, to figure out some of them. Um, so I guess the first one with our 10K Steps campaign was as a charity, we were really overwhelmed at its success, which is obviously an amazing problem to have. Um, but it did involve literally every part of the charity kind of helping in some way or the other, which was obviously great. Um, but it was also remote, you know, everyone had just turned to kind of remote working. Um, and I think it was also the perfect storm at that time. So it obviously captured the imagination of people that were in lockdown. You know, it was kind of something to do when people that didn't have anything to focus on. Um, I think 10,000 steps a day, I know it's kind of like a fitness kind of goal for everybody. And it doesn't sound a lot, but it is a lot. And I think actually it was quite fun to see that Facebook group and relationships build. As Anna said, it's an amazing place to just kind of build relationships with the supporters, you know, other supporters to make friends. Um, 
so yeah, a really positive place, but I think it was kind of funny to see how um, supporters were like, oh my gosh, this is like, my legs are hurting or, you know, and we were kind of there to build them up, motivate them, inspire them to keep going and obviously fundraise. But it's all about creating a great supporter experience within those Facebook groups and beyond. Um, and I guess the other challenge or one of the other challenges, which I know pretty much everyone on this call will think about or know is digital is 24 seven. And these Facebook groups are 24 seven. So um, there is a lot of resource and time needed to manage them and manage them well. Um, so I guess that would be kind of one of the biggest things for me that I think we weren't expecting when we first went into it. Um, so on the back of that, as a charity, we've now invested in an internal team to which are focusing on virtual events, which obviously pre-pandemic was not on, I don't think, anyone's radar. Um, so obviously it's, it's great that we're expanding the team and this is kind of another way we're bringing money in. Um, so they're focusing on planning, executing, evaluating, improving and obviously innovating, hopefully, with a goal of raising more money in the future. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about, well, normal life's going to resume, are people going to continue? And I would say they are, you know, I think there, as Athar said, there's kind of increased competition with these things. So it is about, you know, how are you going to innovate? What are you going to do differently? How are you going to attract, you know, your supporter base? Don't kind of worry about things out of your kind of not control, but scope. Um, so that's kind of where I think the future of Facebook challenges is going. It's kind of like there will be more innovation. I think, you know, a couple of years ago, most people on this call probably haven't even heard of a Facebook challenge. So it's kind of like with innovation, it's so exciting because you don't actually know what's coming next. Um, but everybody on this call and beyond are, you know, it's within your realms to be an innovator and to you know, and that's what I find exciting is that we could be talking or somebody could be listening now and they could come up with something an innovation of the future and we could be discussing it in like a year's time, which is pretty amazing. Um, and so I guess just to wrap up, my key takeaways are Facebook challenges work well to bring in new supporters, but don't forget about your existing ones and about lifetime value. Running these challenges are more complicated and time consuming than you may think. They are obviously great, but I would say if you haven't done one yet and want to test it, start small um, and be agile and don't be afraid to test new things. Um, as kind of Anna was saying, test, learn and innovate. I think that's how we grow. Um, and yeah, will your idea be the next one that we're talking about? Thank you, Rachel. I think we've already had the next idea. Someone posted in the chat that they recently launched a crochet challenge wow. uh, as an alternative to fitness, and it was very popular. That sounds pretty cool sounds with, with, with mindfulness and everything. Rachel, just a quick question for you then off the back of that. Obviously, you've talked about Facebook challenges. You've talked about getting them, getting them up, trying, starting small. You've seen some fantastic results. I'm just wondering if there's someone kind of listening now, are there any other organizations or other technology or anything i know give panel has been mentioned by a few people potentially that you worked with to get yours off the ground yeah so um we do use give panel which is kind of like a fundraising platform which works well with facebook uh, So we were an early adopter of that i don't know how many years ago now um but i think without using that platform or one like it so there are others out there um it would be hard to kind of do what we do in terms of stewarding Facebook fundraisers, just because I don't think the technology is there at the minute with Facebook. So using a, an external platform like GivePanel um, really allowed us to kind of build a stewardship journey kind of for Facebook, which we wasn't able to do before. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much, all of you, for, for sharing that. I mean, we're coming already to, to the end of an hour. I don't mind staying around for a few minutes longer if anyone 
if, if everyone's okay with that. I'm sure we've all got meetings scheduled. That's the thing about virtual, right? You, you kind of jump from one into the next one. I'm just going to have a look through the questions that we've been submitting. But James, do you want to start off just looking at the yeah, I've questions got, there? Well, I've got one. I've actually got one for Rachel. Around Facebook challenges, the proliferation of those coming through. Everybody's, everybody seems to be jumping on board with that. Did you do much research beforehand into into how to settle maybe settle upon a star jump sounds like a good one a bit different to what I've heard before you know what kind of market research did you do before yeah I mean I would love to say we did loads and loads of data to like loads of research um but unfortunately we didn't we kind of just went on you know who do we know is our supporter base what kind of things would they potentially like and we just kind of whittled down a list and then went yeah star jump sounds good um, and then we've gone with it. Um, you know, the, if we had maybe the time and resource to kind of look at all our data points and look at demographics and things like that, um, absolutely. You know, if, you, if you've got that at your fingertips, then obviously it, it's good to do that. But we just didn't. And it seems to be working so far. But I think the biggest thing for us is as a brain tumor research charity, it's about making the challenges accessible. So that was kind of our number one thing think about okay great um michael i've just got a, a question for you if you don't mind going back to kind of the organizational and your digital first approach and as you mentioned the kind of the, the, the quick change that you guys have been through i just wondered during that change was there any mistakes that you wish that you hadn't made i'm sure there's a few areas where if you had that time again you would have done things slightly differently is there anything that kind of stands out from you for that I think we were trying to solve um, so many things at the same time. And I think uh, actually it's great if you can just kind of focus on on one thing. Um, and so I think our, my biggest reflection is prioritization. Like we, we if to me, it felt like we had so many burning fires everywhere and we, we had to like really focus in. And so I think where we are now, it's, it's really about, yeah, trying to be more prioritized than we were before. Yeah, makes sense. Anna, have you seen a different demographic of supporters? I mean, there's been a massive increase, obviously, and, and presumably that comes from higher numbers of donations, but also a wider audience as well. Is that different? Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. We have seen younger people donate to us. Not as many as our kind of our like core kind of age group, which would be sort of like women aged kind of 35 to 55, that kind of group. Um, but yeah, we definitely have seen younger people, more young people, and uh, and, I, and I, we assume that's because of the um, the kind of the Facebook ads that we've been doing and the the like improved and streamlined donate pages. Um, I can't say for sure, but I'm I'm pretty sure that that was what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And I thought coming to you, I guess question is how how has it felt to be thrown into the limelight this past year, and have you noticed more of a focus on or an understanding? of digital within the organization and its hierarchy that is that is a tricky question because because my, my focus is, is is on social and so mm. um the facebook challenges have been have been a success internally but they've actually been managed by a very small team of people compared to sort of the mass packs products that we would we, that we would have out so it's a very it's, it's a very strange disparity. There's probably like five people work on a Facebook challenge, whereas something like Detox is, you know, more than double that mm. and involves a lot more in terms of um, development work outside of, the, outside of the team. So I think what, what's really been highlighted is sort of how, um, how lean some of these projects can be mm. and how little how little resource it needs it needs to be drained from across the organization to to, to capitalize on it and and that's true of a that that's 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 true of a, a lot a lot of products actually and a lot of products that, that, that we've tried is actually you can deliver them more leanly if you want to be if you want to be quick that is that is possible i think sometimes perhaps what we're trying to do is we're trying to encourage people to think differently to kind of like shed some of their uh, sort of habitual needs from a from a product. So obviously, when you're talking about Facebook or social campaigns, 
you're not necessarily going to be driving people to a form hosted on your website that's, connect, that's got a direct API to your CRM. Some people have got that and some people have it. And so trying to convince people of those pros and cons is, you know, has, has perhaps been easier in these times because we are trying to be responsive. We are trying to get stuff, try, try to get stuff out the door. And what I hope is that this period of time has allowed people to, you know, across the sector, to just think a little bit, to, to think a little bit, a, a little bit differently. I think one of the biggest areas of shakeup will be will be mass participation and those existing mass packs products. They're still out there. People are still working on them, but I know we've seen quite quite a large variance between how things performed post pandemic and during the pandemic. Some have done worse. Some have done better. Some, you know, almost retired now because of it. So. I, I think it's been really, I think it's been it's been interesting, but I think more importantly, it's given everyone an opportunity to take stock of how we used to work and how we can work and how, you know, how that will look yeah. this time next year, hopefully. Yeah, this definitely feels like there's been a big, a big shift in that area. Kenneth can attest to this with his role at London Marathon, you know, bringing in virtual over the last couple of years and the way that we've changed the way that, that worked. Talking of changes in ways that you work, Michael, I have a question for you, Harriet Millwood. Always, you know, concerned about the staff. She thinks about other people. Nice person. She is wondering about your shift towards the kind of homeworking more, uh, removing the office. How are you looking after everybody, focusing on well-being, supporting people internally through through comms, etc.? Yeah, that's really, really important question. So one of the things we've just introduced are well-being days. So we've we've introduced two of these each year for, for staff to take uh, whenever they want. And it doesn't have to be when they hit a crisis point. It can just be if you want to just do something to focus on your well-being, you can take that day whenever you like. Um, so that's something we've just introduced. Um, and we've had really positive feedback on that. Um, and yeah, and I think also we at our conference in Manchester a couple of weeks ago, we had a really good discussion about well-being. And I asked, I, I was kind of hosting uh, the, the, the Q&A at the conference. And I asked each of our leaders to talk about um, something that they'd been doing to really focus on their well-being as a way of sort of setting an example that it's it's okay to take time out um, and uh, it's okay to be flexible and uh, we all have good days and bad days. And so, yeah, I think by showing kind of more open leadership, we can encourage people to take, um, I think it's about sort of like taking a little ownership over yourself and us giving you the space to do that um, and to support you um, where we need to. Um, but that's kind of that's gone down really well that the um the well-being days star jumps and crochet that's my advice yeah, <laughs> sounds like a great organization look i am conscious of time because we, we've gone over our allocated time but we'll just kind of sum it up with 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 one last question for, for all of you if you could just give a quick prompt answer i guess you know we're here talking about leadership we're here talking about digital and innovation we've heard some fantastic examples of what's gone on over the last 20 months uh, and beyond but really just the question to all of you is what what excites you about the future what would you love to be sitting here in 12 months 18 months time and, and, and talking about the success uh, Rachel I'm going to come to you is there something that excites you about the future um, I think I kind of said it in that what excites me is that literally anything is possible especially with digital um, so yeah that's what kind of keeps me going and um, gets me excited about innovation yeah, good answer. Michael? Well, I just think everything in our lives has already been upended, doesn't it? Um, not always in such a great way, but I do genuinely think that digital has the potential to change all of our lives for the better. Um, and we've embraced it more so than ever before in history. So I'm, I'm really hoping that the next 12 months we can continue to do that. Brilliant. And Athar, I'll just come to you. Yeah, I think, I think you know, what, what we've learned through you know, Facebook fundraising, which seems to be all anyone's talking about, is that is that we can start looking at our social audiences as fundraisers rather than launch pads as well. Um, and, and and because what we've been doing is sort of segmenting them so they're social until they convert on an ad and then they're just fundraisers. And I think that, you know, in, in a year's time, I, I, want, I really want to, want to be talking about how 
fundraising and social is properly integrated and you know not not fundraising not uh, social not just being the sort of pond that we fish in nice like that and Anna last but not least um I'm excited for yeah for us to get kind of to build our movement even more because um we've already had like a lot of success and I'm excited to see what we can do more in the future try and change some more laws disrupt some more more policies yes we're definitely up for that. It's brilliant. Well, look, thank you all of you for, for bringing your best versions of yourself. I mean, some really fantastic work. Thank you for all of your efforts and for everyone who's here and, and, and listened and, and stuck with us for the last hour and a little bit. Um, hopefully you can go away with some really interesting tips. James, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No, as if, if any of our uh, members of the audience or the panel or one of our three subscribers to our show, they'll know that we get really excited about talking to, to experts. So it's been fantastic to hear from you guys. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Yeah, we should give it a little plug, isn't it? If you haven't listened to it yet, check out the Do More Good podcast, available on all good podcast platforms. There, I've got that one in. Okay, well, look, we'll, we'll wrap it up now. Thank you, everyone, for attending. And yeah, take care of yourselves. And we're going to do that really awkward Zoom wave. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Spotlight series from the Do More Good podcast. You can find all our episodes at domoregood.uk and we're on Twitter and Instagram at domoregoodpod. If you fancy featuring on Spotlight, then drop us a note, contact at domoregood.uk and we'll speak to you soon.